Good morning, Victory Church. How are you doing this morning? It is officially the Christmas season, right? You excited about that? My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the incredible privilege to pastor this incredible church. Real quick, as Pastor Brian was talking about your address, hey, look, if your address hasn't changed since the very first time you gave us your address, you don't have to update anything. But just in case your address has changed since you've registered through the church, uh, growth track, or whatever it might be, we just want to make sure to be able to get that statement to you so that you can be able to put that at the end of the year giving. Amen? Right? You want you, Everybody say, I want that. I want that. You know, all right, it's good. <clears throat> Uh, I, I, before we begin, before we get going, I want to just say a couple things. One, I want to celebrate you because you did something this week that you didn't even know you did. All right, this is how generous you are: is that you're out meeting needs and you didn't even know you were meeting needs. Um, one of the things that our principal, Principal Wayne, and the incredible staff here at Rock Springs Middle School does is towards the Christmas season, they reach out to different families in the school that may be in need, that may not have the resource to be able to provide uh, presents or food or clothing or whatever it might be for their families. And so Principal Wayne and the staff, they reach out, they find out about those families, and then they put kind of a list together, and then the school will do all it can to provide what those families need. And last year, we went to Principal Wayne and said, hey, whatever the school can't provide, let us no, we want to provide it as a church. Our church is generous. They love being able to reach out to the community. They want to do that. And so we were able to give bikes and skateboards and a few things last year. And this year he came to us and he said, hey, here's the deal. We got the toys covered. We got the clothes covered. We need 15 turkeys and hams. We need 15 turkeys and hams. And so I was like, okay, okay, cool. So we went and we did that. And this week you guys were able to give this school 15 turkey and hams for the families in this school that weren't able to be able to provide. So give yourself a hand, right? That's incredible. You're out here meeting needs, and you don't even know it. You're just at work and loving your family, and meanwhile, because you are faithful in tithes and giving, we're able to meet needs in this community. Listen, we mean it, church. We're not, we're not playing. We mean it. We're here to be able to make our community better. Amen? Amen. Also, if you're visiting this particular weekend, it's a great weekend to visit because this is the weekend of our Purpose Prevails offering. And let me just explain in case you've never been here or you haven't been here in a couple weeks, you're not sure what we're talking about or what we're doing. This is the first year of our church and as we move forward we are building culture in our church of what we want to be annually and what we want to see God do through us annually. So for example, and you'll start hearing me talk about it next week, at the beginning of every year we'll do a church fast. And again, you'll hear me talk about all that next week and so on. But another thing that we're wanting to begin as a culture is towards the end of the year, we want to have an end of the year giving opportunity. And this is above our tithes. So, so we tithe because the Bible says that 10% of everything that we make is, is the Lord. So that's not us giving to God. That's just us giving him what's already his, right? And then there's an opportunity for us to give above our tithes and offering and be able to, to, to serve and give sacrificially so that God can do something special in our lives. And let me give you two paths. First of all, I said this last week. The money you give, we will use to build the kingdom, all right? We will use to build the church. Here's what I mean by that. 100% of the money that's given in the Purpose Prevails offering is going to go to ministry. Let me explain. It will not go to rent. It will not go to savings. It will not go to salaries. It will go to outreach and evangelistic opportunities in 2019 to see people saved and to see needs met. 100% of that money goes to that, to be able to meet needs, to be able to uh, get people to be able to accept an opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. So that's the cool part of what the church does with it. But I also said God will use it to build your faith. And he does, and I believe that, that when you get to a place where, where you are saying, God, voluntarily, I don't have to do this, but voluntarily I'm going to do this, and I'm going to step out sacrificially, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to be able to see how you step up and 
and show yourself, prove yourself faithful to me. Um, one of the things I encouraged our dream team this week, I said, hey, write your amount down that you give somewhere. I don't, I don't need to see it, but write it down somewhere where you can see it. Because I guarantee you that next year, if you're faithful to give again next year, you're going to see the increase that God gives you. And the only way I can give you a testimony is through my life. That's the only way I can give you a real testimony. So before I do that, let me share this. I was hanging out with one of uh, the guys that goes to church here. He's a good friend of mine. We were talking about the giving and the, and the Purpose Prevails offering, and he said, it's crazy. He said, I was thinking about an amount I'd been talking about, but I hadn't mentioned it to my wife. He said, I was thinking about it, but I hadn't told my wife about it. And he said, and so she came to me. She said, hey, what are you thinking? I said, well, what are you thinking? And he said, right when I went to speak, he said, I couldn't get one digit out before she said hers, and it was the same exact amount. That's what I mean about God's faithfulness. And so me and Darla wanted to celebrate with you today because we got the opportunity. We sat down last night. We wrote our check together as a family. Watch this. It was the largest check me and her have ever written in our entire life. And I don't say that to brag. Don't be like, well, go home, my man, pastor's in there bragging about you. No, I say that to lead. I say that as a leader. Because I've told you before, the day we launched this church, I never asked you to do something that we don't do first. And so it was incredible, incredible to be able to see that because, listen to me, last year this time, we could not have written that check. Wouldn't have been able to happen. But God's faithfulness, because we stepped out last year and purpose prevails sacrificially. God has been faithful. And here's what I believe. God wants me to do that every year. Wouldn't you agree? So in order for me to be able to write the largest check of my life that I could write next year, there has to be increase. And I believe that's how God operates. And so I encourage you, we'll talk a little bit more before we close today about your opportunity to how to do that. But some of you have already given. Some of you are praying about it now. Um, but we did say from day one, this is between you and God. So I hope you've prayed. I hope you asked God. If God told you not to give anything, don't give a thing. But whatever God asks you to give, give. And watch God move mightily in that. Amen? You ready for the word? Yeah. Me too. If you got your Bibles, open to the book of Luke, chapter 1. Uh, Luke, chapter 1. So in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, and then there's Luke right there before John. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. You can jump on your phones and Google, oh, cool hand Luke. Google him and look it up. It'll also be behind me on the screen and on our app if you want to follow along. So as, as you know and as you've heard Pastor Brian say, you cheered about, we begin a new series called Born for This. There we go. I got three or four people are with me. Apparently, I like Pastor Brian better. I see how it is. Um, this will be a short series because we'll be gearing up for a brand new series on December 30th as we begin to launch the church fast. But, but it's a very interesting, very quick series because we're in the Christmas season, right? How, how many of you just love the Christmas season? Anybody just love the Christmas season? I wanna, I'm big on trees. I'm big on lights. I'm really big on food and presents. I don't really care for Christmas music that much, but, but, but you know, I'm sorry if you don't, don't hate me for it, but I love all the aspects of it, and I actually think it's too quick. Don't you think it's just too quick? People seem to be nicer during the Christmas season, and so I just like the Christmas season, and that's one of the reasons, it's part of the reason that we're using the text that we're using today in Luke 1, which you will see is about the birth of baby Jesus through his mother Mary, but it's not the only reason. The other reason would be this. At the end of this uh, service, when we get the opportunity to give and purpose prevails, what you're going to see is you're going to see God make a way for his people through someone who volunteered to be used by God. That's what you're going to see. That is the Christmas story. God made a way for his people through someone who was willing to be used. That's the Christmas story. And so let's look, Luke chapter 1, we'll start at verse 26, if you're following along with us. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Joseph was a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, 
You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. In case you're wanting that, she was actually pregnant with John the Baptist, which is an interesting thing. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive in her six months, in her six month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So here's Mary, just going about her life, right? Regular girl. She just got engaged, so she's all over Pinterest showing off her ring, you know? She's just living life, hanging out, doing her thing. And God decides that he wants to send the hope of the world to the world, but he needs someone to carry it. And so he makes the decision that Mary is going to be the one who carries the hope of the world. And he tells Gabriel, hey, hey, Gabriel, come here, do me a favor. Go down and see that woman. Let her know that I've chosen her to carry hope for me. And the angel shows up, and he says, Mary, and she goes, oh, boy, what's this about? And he goes, Mary, you're going to get pregnant. And she reacts like every other husband reacts when they find out their wife's pregnant. She goes, what? Is this a good meeting or not? I don't know. Is it plus signs or minus signs? I need to figure out. You know, this is going to be an interesting situation. And the angel says, listen, Mary, you were born to carry the hope of the world. Could you imagine finding out you were born to carry the hope of the world, it's a little bit of a responsibility. I started thinking about it this week, and I'm like, you know what? If I could, I'd love to have a moment with Mary. You know what I mean? Set her down and just begin to ask her some questions. You know, just be, I mean, again, Mary, you, you were called to carry the hope of the world. You were born to give birth to baby Jesus. I just have some questions. And if I could do it, if I could set up this interview segment and we get the microphone on her and get the right lighting on her, here's what I'd call it. You ready? I'd call it, Mary, did you know? <laughs> like that? Like that? that? I work really hard on this stuff. Y'all should really appreciate it more. <laughs> Mary, did you know? Here'd be my first question. You ready? In my interview session, my first question would be this. Mary, did you know you were qualified to do this? Here's why I would ask her that first. Because every time I get the idea or the assumption that God wants to use me to do something for his kingdom, the first thing I question is my qualifications. How am I supposed to bring somebody hope when I'm often hopeless? How am I supposed to be somebody's help when I'm so often helpless? It's the very first thing I question, God, is am I really qualified to do what you're asking me to do? Mary had the same problem. Look at Mary's response. It says that the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. You're going to conceive and you're going to give birth to a son and you're going to call him Jesus. And Mary's first response is, how? How 
can I bring hope? How can I bring help? How am I going to do this when I am a virgin? It's interesting that she's letting natural restrictions stop supernatural responsibility. You know what I mean? And this is what we do. How? And then we begin to label our reason why we're unqualified. Mary just immediately checks herself out by listing the reason why she's unqualified. How can this be? When we tend to hear that God wants to do something great through us, the first thing we do is start laying out all the reasons why God can't use us. How can this be, God? I'm this. I'm this. And we give natural restrictions to a supernatural responsibility. What happens? What do you do when your conditions don't line up with your calling? What do you do when your actions don't match your assignment? What do you do when you have reservations about your responsibility? Is it just me? The other day, a little while back, actually, me and my family were playing, having a game night, a little, little family game night. If you ever are interested in having a game night, you need to talk to Andrew and Amber Morton because they are the king and queen of game nights, okay? But well, we just decided to have one kind of on our own, just me and the girls, and we decided to play Uno. Anybody here play Uno? Anybody in here a Uno, Uno fan? Did you know it's the only game out that contests where you are in your Christian walk? <laughs> Here's how I know. If you think you are Christ-like, if you think you're doing well, if you think you've really accepted the whole turn-the-other-cheek concept, <laughs> go play Uno with someone and monitor how you react when they hit you with the draw four. <laughs> All the demons come out, you know what I mean? You're like, you start flipping tables, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. And so we're playing cards, and, and I'm a real, real competitive person, and so I have to win, right? That's just kind of how it works. And so I'm like, so the way we were set up, it was Veda, then me, then Darla, then Casey, and she wasn't really playing. Like, sometimes she was playing, and sometimes she was, like, off in space somewhere, you know? And so that was the area. So, again, my number one competitor is my wife. So I'm like, all right, I can, how is this going to work? I'm going to beat her. So I had this whole system, and I had a draw four that I was holding on to. You know what I'm talking about? Just waiting. Just going, I'm like, bam, I'm going to get her when she ain't ready. And so here was my system, because I'm strategic. When she gets down to one card, she is going to get hope into her heart. She is going to believe that she's about to win this card game. And I am a hope killer. And I have come to kill hope. These are all things you don't want to hear your pastor say, right? Before you and so I'm like, okay, I've got this draw four, and I'm a, I'm a, so I was waiting, and we all had two cards, and Veda went, and I went, and I put my card that wasn't my draw four down, and I thought, okay, she's going to put her second card, and when it comes back around, and she thinks, boom, I'm going to get her. And when she went to put her card down, she put down a reverse. <laughs> you better sit down. <laughs> oh, I love you, baby. Now, all of a sudden, my whole plan was ruined, right? Because now she's not going after me anymore. Now it's my poor little eight-year-old Veda. And I realized that my wife is so spiritual that even when she's playing Uno, she knows how to take the thing that was meant to kill her and turn it to be good for her. You know what I'm saying? Like she understood that what the devil meant for bad, that God will take for good, and she put it on her little daughter. Bless her. Pray for her, y'all. She reversed it on me. 
And I was thinking about something this week, and this thought came to my mind. Only God knows how to reverse our reservations. One time Isaiah, the prophet, was speaking to the descendants of David, the family of David, about how God was going to bring hope to the world. And he prophesied something long before Jesus was ever born. And watch what he says. It says, Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. It's not enough to try the patience of humans. You're going to try the patience of my God also. So therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Watch this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Long before Mary was even picked, Isaiah said, God's going to use a what? Virgin. God's going to use a what? You ever had to chant that word in church before? Probably not. Maybe for some of you, depending on what you grew up in. God, so, so, here's what, so, so Mary says, God, you can't use me because I'm a virgin. Meanwhile, Isaiah's saying, God's going to use someone who is a virgin. So the very thing that she thought was going to disqualify her is the very thing that qualified her. Only God knows how to take our reservations and put them in reverse and to be able to use the very thing that we think would stop God from using us to be the very platform in which God does use us. But you don't know what I've been through, but God does and he knows you went through it and he's going to use what you went through because what the devil meant for bad, God turns and uses for good. So the very thing that you think disqualifies you is the reason you are qualified for the purpose in which God has called you to. And if for any reason the enemy tells you that's not true, let me read you a verse in 1 Corinthians. God lays it out pretty simple for us. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God can't use him. He's a fool. Y'all ever had somebody? I was called a fool so many times in high school. That boy ain't nothing but a fool. Well, that's good. Because God likes to use the fools to shame the wise. And God likes to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Because God understands that you and I aren't perfect. And God understands that the devil will get in our mind and allow us to use every excuse we could possibly use to make us avoid from being used by God. Because the number one way that God will save this world is through you. And if the enemy can get you believing that you're not qualified to do it, if he can get you to start labeling things that's wrong with you, this, 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 these are reasons why, these are reasons why, these are reasons why. The very first time I ever got the idea that I was going to pastor a church, I started going through all the reasons why I shouldn't be a pastor. And there were a lot, okay? I mean, just going through them all, going through them like crazy. One of the things I thought about was how one time I preached about sex to two 10-year-olds. You need more context? Let me give you more context. Um, I got invited one time to this youth week is what it was, right, to speak. And I talked to my buddy. He had spoken on like a Wednesday night. He said, man, there was about 75 or 100 teenagers there. It was awesome. I said, great, man, I'm speaking on Friday night. I can't wait. It's going to be great. I called the church to find out what was going on, get more details. I said, talking to the youth director, I said, ma'am, do you know what you want me to preach on? And she goes, huh? I said, well, I've never been there. I don't know your church. What would you like me to preach on? She goes, well, what, what do you preach? I said, preach on everything. I preach on the Bible. What do, you, what do you want me to preach on? She goes, well, I'll tell you what. She goes, it's a youth week, and we have different nights that mean different things. And this particular night is wrapped around sex and, 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 and staying pure. And I was like, got it, right? I can, I can talk about that. Let's, 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 let's do that. And so I prepped a whole message, and I arrive at the church, and there's one car in the parking lot. And I thought, 
That can't be right. And so I got there about 15 minutes early, and I see the janitor-type person coming. I said, hey, you know, here's who I am. He lets me in. I go in. I walk in. There's a round table with toys like they were from Oriental Trading. Like, this can't be right. And so I go, and I sit down, and, and about six adults come in, and these two 10-year-olds come in, and I'm sitting in a chair very similar to what you're sitting in, just kind of waiting, being, being faithful to what God's called me to do, waiting, waiting. And, and eventually, the woman, the director comes to me. She goes, hey, Pastor Troy, uh, it's a little bit lighter than we thought it was going to be. You must have really high hopes. And she goes, well, do, do, do you want to go ahead and start? I said, yeah, let's go ahead and start. So they started going through the, kind of the, the, the tradition that they do. They would read a verse and sing a song. And, and then she comes to me, she goes, would you like to just go to a classroom and teach? I don't care, sure. So she takes me to a classroom, and I walk into the classroom, and the six adults sit on the, on the wall, and they put the two 10-year-olds right in front of me at the table. Smart man would have just pulled an audible and talked about something else. But I thought... God, it ain't no coincidence that, that, that I'm here with this, and so let me just, let me just, and, and, and that happened, and that happened. I'll never forget it. I was getting ready to leave. It, it went okay, okay? They didn't get, I don't, it went okay, and so I was getting ready to leave, and, the, and somebody came and said, hey, Pastor Roy, the pastor wants to talk to you. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. And so I go into his office, sit down, and the first thing he said, he goes, uh, Pastor Troy. I said, yes, sir. He goes, why did you decide to preach on that topic with two 10-year-olds. I said, sir, I didn't make that decision. Your youth director made that decision. He goes, no, she didn't. I thought, oh, my goodness, here we go. And we had this long conversation. I'll never forget this, y'all. It's a miracle that I'm still in ministry. We had a long conversation, and I said, hey, hey, at least the Bible says that his word never returns void, right? And he looked at me, dead on his truth, he looked at me, and he said, it did this time. <laughs> oh, my gosh! And you want to plant a church through me? Have you lost your mind? How can this be, God? But God qualifies us. Amen? The second question I would have had for her, after I would have said, hey, did you know you were qualified for this? second question would have been, hey, Mary, did you know it would be so hard? Here's why this would be my second question. Because often for me, when I think hope is here, I think hardship is not. You know, I'm just one of those that thinks if hope is present, hardship must be absent. Right? I mean, we're all this way. When are we hopeful? When the pain stops. When are we hopeful? When all of a sudden the money comes. We're, we're hopeful when hardship is absent. That's when we get hopeful. Didn't quite happen that way for Mary. Let me show you. Luke chapter 2. So Luke chapter 1, she finds out she's going to be pregnant. Luke chapter 2, she is pregnant. It says, so Joseph goes up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So during this, she's pregnant, y'all. All right, we're going to get into this in a minute. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Now she's in labor. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Can I ask you a question? If all of a sudden you found out God was going to bring the hope of the world through you, wouldn't you think he would at least make the rest of the process easy for you? You know, like, hey man, I'm, I'm getting pregnant for you. The least you could do is make the nine months 
don't give me more than sickness. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, help, help a brother out. And for some reason, or help a sister out, sorry. For some reason, we, we, we think hope comes without hardship. And can I tell you who I blame? You ready? I'm casting blame this morning. Why do we think hope comes without hardship? I blame the nativity scene. Now, don't go writing me letters and emails. I'm not against the nativity scene. If you have one in your living room, that is perfectly fine. But you need to go Google pregnant Barbie. You need to buy her. You need to add her to your nativity scene. Okay, let me show you. We got this picture. Let me, let me show you why we are so uh, uh, confused. Okay, first of all, look at this. Isn't this hopeful? So sweet. So precious. Look at baby Jesus. Amber, he don't have no spit up. Have you ever seen Ollie make that face? That is a fake baby face. The correct baby face would be crying. Look at Mary, my, my women who have had babies. Is that how you looked after you gave birth to your child? Come on, something ain't right about this picture. Where, I, I, where, where is pregnant Mary? That's what I want to know. When we look at this, something is missing. You can show me the nativity scene, and you can show me baby Jesus, and you can show me all that, but can I get a before and after picture? You know what I mean? Can I, can I get the picture where Mary comes in with swollen ankles, and she's waddling, and she got the whole back walk that ladies got when they're pregnant, and she's trying to, and when she's trying to get out of bed, Joseph has to roll her, you know what I mean? He has to, like, give her a help, and just... Ugh. Instead, you can take this off. Uh, I'm, I'm mad at it. You can, and so and instead of that, we find out that Mary traveled for six days on the back of a donkey. My women. <laughs> Remember when you were pregnant and your husband hit a speed bump? And you almost blessed him in the name of Jesus? You know what I mean? You almost laid hands on him. You know what I'm saying? Remember that? How come God couldn't get her a Uber? We're going to lift his name up. She, he should at least get her a lift. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Like, like why, why is she going on a donkey? Then she gets to the motel, and she walks in, and she got the whole, you know, look. She gets up to the counter, and I can imagine. I can see it. I wish M. Night Shyamalan would make the movie. She puts her hand, boom, on the counter. Can I have a room, please? You know, Joseph's probably parking the donkey, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> and the guy's like, sorry, ma'am, we have no room. <laughs> Come on, God. Couldn't get a sister an Airbnb? <laughs> Come on. What is, and then, if all of that, if we somehow overlook all of that, y'all, she gave birth in a manger. A manger. Do you know what a manger is? Put it this way. There's a bunch of animals and hay around her. We're all in the hospital bed with the fitted sheets. She's in a manger. And here's the mistake we make. Here's why we think hope comes without hardship. Because when we think about Mary giving birth to Jesus, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. He probably came out. No. And she supernaturally was just like back to, to pre-baby weight. You know what I mean? This, is my, I got, this should be a Mother's Day message right here. But listen, if we ever got a real picture of what it was like, and I'm about to give you one. You ready? Hell yeah. Y y'all done came on the wrong Sunday. Any of y'all ever seen the movie The Quiet Place? There's a scene. When you go home, watch it. There's a scene 
The whole point is you got to be silent. There's some kind of alien killing people or something. I don't know. All of a sudden, she gets pregnant, and she has to give birth in a bathtub while trying to remain quiet while some alien is trying to kill her. To me, that's more of a picture of what Mary giving birth to Jesus in a manger would be like than this whole, ah! you know what I mean? It's, just, it's dirty, it's bad, it's hot, people are screaming. It, it, it was hard. It had to be hard because hope doesn't come without hardship. I know Jesus is the reason for the season, but Mary deserves some love. And if we pull Mary aside right now and said, Mary, why'd you do that? Why did you do that, Mary? Say, because listen, I knew it was going to be hard, but hope doesn't just show up. Someone has to carry it. That's what God came, put me here today to tell you this morning, is hope doesn't just show up. Someone has to carry it. One time, this guy was, was lame, he couldn't walk, and he wanted healing, and he heard that Jesus was in town. And by now, Jesus' reputation had kind of beat him to town, and people knew that he was a healer and, and all these things, and he decided he wanted to be healed, but he couldn't get there. And he found out that Hope wasn't going to show up to his house, but some friends came, and they carried him to Hope. There are some people that because of the position they're in, because of who they think they are, Hope can't get to them, but someone has to carry it. Listen, I know you want Hope in your family but someone's going to have to carry it. I know you want hope in your marriage. Someone has to carry it. I know you want hope in your children's future. Someone has to carry it. I know you want hope in your finances. I know you want hope in your job, but someone has to carry it. Hope doesn't just show up. Someone has to volunteer to carry it. When I walked into the church where I'd eventually give my heart to Jesus in Memphis, Tennessee, that church was a 2,500-seat auditorium. It was massive. Across the street from it was a basketball uh, gymnasium. On the other side of it was the church offices. In front of it was like a nursery, and then behind it was a youth building. It was insane. And because I am who I am with the knowledge I had, I just thought that's always what it was. You know what I mean? When I showed up, I'm like, you just, this has always been here. And then the longer I was around the church, the more I found out that wasn't the case. And at one time, the big gymnasium wasn't there at all. But they took up some love offering, and they started casting vision about how they were going to use it to meet the community, and people carried it, and they were able to build it. Then I found out that the auditorium used to not exist, and that the people used to meet in the area where the youth building was. But the people were getting saved so quick, and the doors were busting out, and people were standing in the hallway that people started carrying hope to be able to build the auditorium. Then I found out that long before Pastor Ron and long before Pastor Mitterbrook, there was a group of people that met under a tent in like this grassy field. And they put up a tent and they called it church. And all of those people gathered and all those people prayed, and all those people worshiped, and all those people shared the gospel, and all those 25 people told their friends about Jesus, and all those 25 people gave in offering, and gave in love offerings, and gave in tithing, and some of them carried hope that eventually got to me. And I'm starting to realize that when it comes to my children, and their children, 
and their children and their children, hope is not going to just show up. Somebody's going to have to carry it. And so I'm so thankful for Mary carrying hope. Because if Mary doesn't carry hope, maybe I'm not here. Maybe you're not here. And so I started thinking about my last question for Mary. My last question. I said, all right, I've asked you, are you, you know, Mary, did you know you would be qualified for this? And she basically said, no, but God qualifies me. I said, Mary, did you know this would be hard? And she said, no, but somebody's got to do it. I said, okay, my last question, I'd set her down. I'd say, Mary, did you know that it wouldn't stop with you? Let me explain. Can you imagine being Mary and seeing the baby that you carried carrying a cross? Do you think there was a moment where Mary thought, I don't understand. I thought me carrying baby Jesus was the hope of the world. And I thought when I gave birth to him, it was done. But then why is my baby dying on a cross? And I think it might have been a moment in there where Mary would have told me, Troy, when I finally started to connect Old Testament sacrifice and the way people would take spotless lambs and they would use it as a sacrifice to reunite themselves with God, and I started connecting how my son represented a spotless lamb by coming through me as a virgin and was now dying on a cross, I started to make the connection of him being a modern-day picture of the Old Testament process. And then I started understanding that I wasn't carrying the hope of religion. Watch this. I was carrying the hope of reunion. Can I explain even more? There's a passage of Scripture that i got to show you that just means so much to me. It's one of my favorite. I hope it ends up being one of your favorite. It's not really a Christmas verse, but it needs to be a Christmas verse from this day out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. This is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. And he's beginning to describe the process that God did through baby Jesus. And I want you to see what he says. He says, all of this is a gift from God. Everything. Salvation. All, all this is a gift from God. Who brought us back to himself through Christ. So God used Jesus as the hope of the world. But here's what the hope of the world was. That through Jesus, God was reunited with us. Because you'll never understand hope if you don't first understand why we are hopeless. If you don't know why we are hopeless, you won't understand how we begin to get hope. We were hopeless because we got separated from God. He was the hope of the world because through him we were going to be reunited with God. And then I love this statement. You skip a little bit. It says, for God was in Christ. Do you see that? Here's what the Lord spoke to me this morning. He said, Mary was carrying Jesus, but Jesus was carrying me. God was in Jesus, and Jesus was in Mary. And God was using Jesus as a conduit to be able to get here and reconcile with his children. So I'm reading that, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And that would be my moment where I'd be like, Mary, thank you. Thank you. Because there was a moment where I was going to have to face the facts that me and God were now separated. 
Because I don't know about you, and if this isn't you, I'm sorry, but I'm a sinner. That's what I've learned about myself. So at some point, I'm going to do something that would separate me from God. But God said, I'm going to take Jesus. Jesus is going to jump in Mary, and we're going to get to earth, and we're going to walk through this process of reuniting God with his people. And I would have been like, oh, Mary, thank you. And I don't really know, like, how would you, how do you really thank Mary? You know what I mean? Is it like, do, you know, do, do, do you rub her feet? You know, do, 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 do you get her a gift card, a Darden gift card? Like, I don't, I don't really know how you, how you thank her. But, but it would have been a great moment of, man, thank you. Thank you, Mary. This is incredible. Thank you for, for recognizing that you were born to carry hope. And I'd, I'd, you ever seen those interviews that I'm talking about? And they get up and they give that hug. And then the interview's over. And if the camera stays on, here's what normally happens. The interviewer will just kind of walk off. And they'll start kind of taking off microphones. And the interviewee will get up out of their chair. And they'll start taking off microphones. And then I, I played this out. You ready? I imagined Mary having her microphone removed. And she said, uh, she said, Troy, Yeah, Mary, you've been saying this whole interview that I was born for this. Yes, ma'am. It was pretty obvious. Do you know what you're born for? And that would have been a weird moment for me because Mark Twain says that the two greatest days of your life is the day you're born and the day you find out why. And I would have said what probably most of us would say. I don't really know. I think so. I know what I'm gifted at. And so I tend to think that if I can play basketball like LeBron James, I must be born to play basketball. So I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe. And here's what I think Mary would say. Mary would say, you need to reread your verse. I, I don't understand. Your, your, your second Corinthians verse. Read it, read it again, but read it slow. Okay? Just read it again. We'll read it slower. And all of this salvation is a gift from God who brought me, Troy, who brought you back to himself. So I chose, like the prodigal son, to walk away from God. But God, as a gift, brought me back to himself, to him, through Jesus. It was through Jesus, okay? And God has given us, that's us, this task of reconciling, reconciling people to him. What? Here's what I think Mary would have said. Mary, Troy, I know you may not see what it says because of the verbiage and because you may not talk like that but let me let me tell you what it says it says Mary was born to carry the hope of the world through Jesus so that you and I could be reconciled to God and you were born to continue to carry that same hope of Jesus to people who have been separated from God so Mary wasn't the only one born to carry hope. So were we. 
that's what you were born for. You may be great at architecture. You may be a great fitness trainer. It's not why you were born. You were born to reconcile people to God. You were born to point them to the fact that Jesus came, that the whole season is about the fact that Jesus came to reconcile you and me back to God. But I'm not qualified. We already addressed that. But what if it's hard? We already addressed that. This is what you were born to do. Some of you at the end of today, you'll, you'll give in an offering and you'll be operating in the reason God created you. Because through that giving, people are going to give their lives to Jesus. There will be somebody that eats that ham or eats that turkey over the next holiday and God will use it to reconcile them to him. It may come through this church, it may not. We don't really care if victory gets the glory. We just want God to. But before we go any further into a season where so many people are hopeless and so many people are hurting, and if you're not careful, you will try to delegate the responsibility. Understand that God called you and God called me to be carriers of hope. He was doing it then. He's still doing it now. Over 2,000 years ago, he said, I need to get the hope of the world to the world. And I need someone to carry it. 2,000 years later, he's saying, I need to get the hope of the world to the world. And I need someone to carry it. The question is just, will we do it? Do me a favor, just a couple of your hands like this. Lord, we're so humble to be in your presence. And God, in a season that tends to be about presence and family and food, vacation time, Lord, all of that's fantastic. But don't let us forget that we were born for this, but most of all, we were born for this season to be the carrier of hope. And so, Lord, with our hands out, we just receive the ministry, God, that you've put on our lives, the task that you've given us, that when we walk into our job, we're the carrier of hope. When we walk into our, our, our household with our family, we're the carrier of hope. When we walk into school, we're the carrier of hope. When we walk into our neighborhood, we're the carrier of hope. When we walk into the grocery store, when we walk into the gym, when we walk into the mall, we, we are the carrier of hope. God, I pray you let us see that. And the more we recognize it, the more, God, you'll be faithful to do it. All right, now look at me real quick. Look at me real quick. I'll tell you this, and then we'll close. I wasn't going to do it. Dream Team kind of already knows about this, but I got to share this story. So, again, y'all know I go to the gym, and I, I walk, and I pray. And so one morning I'm walking, and I'm praying, and I've prayed for y'all, and I've prayed for the church, and I've prayed for my family, and I'm getting towards the end of my, my hour. And, and out of nowhere I felt this prayer. I just said, God, help me to see people who need you. 
I don't even remember how I verbalized it. It was just kind of like, let, let me, help me, let me, it was like, let me see people that have a need and let me, let me be there for them. I'm just kind of praying that in general, right? I didn't really know what I was asking for because oftentimes when we pray and ask God for something, we don't really know what we're asking for. And so I'm walking, I'm praying. I didn't feel no weird. I didn't have like a miracle on 34th Street. I didn't have like a fairy come down. It was just, it was just normal. I was done. So I grabbed my pre-workout and drink cup, and I walked down the stairs, and I went to the gym, and I, it was chest day, and so I went to the bench press area, and I laid down, and I started working out, and there was a gentleman in the gym, and I saw him working out, and I gave a little nice wave, that's what I do, and, uh, and, and so he came and he walked past me, and, and I saw him, but I was in the middle of trying not to die, and so I wasn't really there to say anything, and, and he came back by again, and he looked at me, and I gave him the, the head nod, because once you've done this once, you don't do that twice. Now you got to do the head nod. Now, I wasn't really sure where we go the third time, so we were going to see, and, and, and he comes back by the third time, and so at this time, I had set up, and I'm sitting there, and he walks over to me, and so I took my headphones out. I said, what's up? Little tears started to kind of come in his eyes, and he said, man, I've walked by you three times. I thought to myself, I know, I've been counting. <laughs> he said, I walked by you three times, and God has been telling me to ask you to pray for me. He said, but every time I walk by you, the devil tells me not to talk to you. I stood up. I said, man, what's going on? He started giving me just a little bit of detail. I didn't, want to, I didn't need to be in all of his business. He talked to me a little bit. I said, man, I'm so glad you came. Come here. And right there in that gym, we just began to pray. And I thought about that story when I thought about this. And realize that when God's people say, give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity to speak hope into somebody's life this week. Because I'm the carrier of hope. Just give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity. But let me warn you, when you ask God for this opportunity, he's going to give it to you. And it's not going to be easy. I wonder how weird we look like two grown men hugging and praying in the gym. Of all places. Wasn't easy. Man, God's faithful. Amen. So I tell you what I want to do real quick before we close. Pastor Brian will come out, bring us to a close. But I wanted to encourage you as after Pastor Brian talks, you're going to get ready to give if you're giving towards purpose prevails. And I just want you to understand that that's another level of being able to bring hope to people. And, and I, one of the auditorium hosts, are you ready for me? Jesus, you come down here for a second, brother. I just wanted to, uh, I just wanted us to lead the way, babe. Just come down here for one second. And again, I try to kind of say this at the beginning. This is not a moment. Please don't see this as a bragging moment. You know, this is, I'm, it's not a moment where you go, man, pastor wanted everybody to see him give. I just want you to know that I'm leading the way. We're leading the way. I don't want you to think I'm asking you to give. And then me and Dollar over there going, just give him 27 cents and we'll see what happens. It doesn't work that way. We want to lead the way because we believe I'll come down to you. Pants are too tight. We believe that we are carriers of hope. And so when I say that about you, I'm not just saying it because it sounds cute in a sermon. I'm saying it because I believe it with all of my heart. And so what we've said to God with this church in day one, and especially with 2019, is God, just use us. Use us. Use our finances. Use our time. Use everything that we have to be able to bring somebody hope. Amen? So pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, in a moment, Pastor Brian's going to give people the opportunity to give their heart to you, to commit their life to you, and we praise you for that. And then, God, people will have the opportunity to be faithful in their tithes, and those that have felt God tell them to give and purpose prevails, they'll be faithful to that. And, Lord, once again, we will see you use us to bring hope to other people. 
So God, we just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you that it doesn't matter what disqualifies me, God, you qualify me. Thank you for using us for your kingdom. Thank you for the ministry and the task of reconciliation. But most of all, thank you for using Mary to reconcile us to you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.